when stuff gets scary and hard, that's the most important time to keep your cool and get aggressive. Before we get into today's episode, I want to offer you a free service and a free gift. Yes, a free gift. You're a loyal best ever listener. You deserve free gifts. And it's from our best ever partner, Secure Pay One, the landlord helper. So are you a landlord or investor who's self-managing? Well, if you're self-managing, is that the best way to scale your business? And are you fulfilled by self-managing or would you rather be doing other stuff with your time? Like, I don't know, scaling your business, scaling your portfolio, making more money, bringing more rentals, rental income coming in because you're acquiring more properties. If you want to scale, if you're not getting fulfilled by self-managing, then here comes a free service, here comes a free gift. Linda Libatory, you know her, episode 714, I interviewed her about her best ever advice, talked to her about her company, which is the solution to your problem, Secure Pay One, the landlord helper. They handle the phone calls, they handle the rent collections, they handle late payment reminders, they handle the lease violation notices, everything from the text messages, reminders, all the way to collecting the ACH payments. Linda's team will help you scale your business, whether you've got 500 units or even a handful of units. Go to mylandlordhelper.com forward slash Joe. That's mylandlordhelper.com forward slash Joe. They're going to give you a free 30-minute goal strategy session. They'll give you free setup and the first 30 days free, mylandlordhelper.com forward slash Joe. Again, if you are self-managing and you're not fulfilled by self-managing and you agree that there's a better way to scale your business, scale your investments, then go to mylandlordhelper.com forward slash Joe. Take Linda and her team up on their generous offer of giving you a trial and a strategy session to see if it's right for you. MyLandlordHelper.com forward slash Joe. Best ever listeners, welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff with us today. Kira Golden, how are you doing, Kira? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me here, Joe. My pleasure. Nice to have you on the show. A little bit more about Kira. She is the CEO of Direct Source Wealth. Her company generates passive income and grows the wealth for their investors. We'll get into the specifics here in a little bit. She is internationally known speaker on the topic of deal structure, underwriting, fundraising, and real estate investing in general. She is based in Denver, Colorado, and you can say hi to her at her company website, which is directsourcewealth.com. That's in the show notes page. With that being said, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? Sure, yeah. I've been doing real estate since I was 18, so it's pretty much what I do. And having done it for that long and through a couple of recessions now, I've done lots of different things. But right now, our main focus is on multifamily value-add properties. But in general, we are working on building a platform that gives investors access to diversified holdings, asset class, and geographically. So we move where the market tells us to move, but we also keep an eye on making sure we're diversified. With the general thing, we're we're building a platform for diversified holdings across geographies and asset classes. How do you structure that with them? Is that a fund that you've created? 
No, my focus has been, and this is why our name is what it is, direct source. My focus has been on direct investment. It's sort of an ideological thing for me. There are funds out there. There's funds that are run really well, and there's reasons to do them. But I'm a big believer in the opportunity to be a direct investor. I think it lends, it lends that structure lends itself better to people knowing what they're invested in, having a personal connection to it, and then therefore making better, smarter decisions with their money. Whereas when you're in a fund, you're just another step removed from what you're investing in, and that can lead to sort of wonky decision-making in certain circumstances. So they're investing not in a fund, but rather each deal is its own entity, and they're investing into a particular deal. But you're on the general partnership side, you and your team, and then they're on the limited partnership side, and they're investing passively. Is that correct? Precisely. Okay. So your company's based in Denver, Colorado. Actually, in 2014, we relocated it to Puerto Rico. Our company is actually now, I got to update that, the information you got about Denver. So we do have staff in Denver, but the corporation and our, our headquarters is actually down in Puerto Rico now. How come? Tax structure is really what brought us down here originally, and I moved down here in that time frame as well. So I'm based down here. Most of our employees are down here, largely due to the 20 and 22 tax incentives that were issued by the territory of Puerto Rico. Please elaborate. <laughs> Actually, kind of a fun story, and I'll give a shout out to the CEO of iPlan Group, the IRA custodian, Jill Banner. She called me a few years ago now and said, Kira, come to Puerto Rico. And she's one of those people who wouldn't they say that, you just book your ticket and then ask them later why. So <laughs> right. I did. <laughs> and so 24 hours later, I was down in Puerto Rico with her and we were being toured around and they were teaching us about the tax incentives. So all residents of U.S. territories are tax exempt from federal income tax. This is just a U.S. statutory code and obviously someone needs to talk to their tax professional to understand the details of that, but, but that's just my understanding of the way it is. And then usually... People don't just pick up and leave the states because when you move to the U.S. territories, their local tax is pretty expensive. So there's not really much of an incentive to do that. Puerto Rico, in an effort to attract investors and entrepreneurs, people with an investor mindset and mentality to create jobs and opportunity for Puerto Rico, also passed a tax incentive that allows new people to, who moved down here who haven't lived in Puerto Rico for, I believe it was the last 15 years, to relocate down to Puerto Rico and also the opportunity to relocate their business down to Puerto Rico, and then you pay 4% corporate income tax on your corporation, and you pay 0% income tax on capital gains, dividends, interest income, basically passive income sources. So that's a 20-year so decree. It's a formal contract between me and the territory of Puerto Rico and my company in the territory of Puerto Rico. Wow. Compared to just for listeners who don't have the context for 4% corporate tax and 0% income tax on passive income, what were you paying? It depends on exactly what I was being taxed on, but it would range anywhere between state, territory, and local. I was paying anywhere between 30 and 55%. <laughs> Normally, taxes are our number one expense, but not if you live in Puerto Rico, apparently. Correct. Yeah, that's incredible. What has been the two most challenging aspects of transitioning from the States to Puerto Rico? We do have some real estate projects down here, and the challenge there has just been exorbitant number of vacations that Puerto Ricans take. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, things that should take two weeks take 
six months. It's, it's a little harder to motivate people on an island to get things done. But I will say Puerto Rico, of all the sort of islands that you could choose from, it's the most business-minded location in the Caribbean, in my experience. But, but it's still been a challenge. And then kind of on the personal front, I was in one of the first 200 people to make this move. So when I first got here, there really wasn't a community. Now there are thousands, and there's a couple of communities around the island that are high, high-level real estate people. I mean, you walk around the beach in Dorado and you trip over hedge fund managers. We all sit around and talk about how someone's got a billion-dollar fund and someone else has got real estate deals, and we get to kind of talk and network between kite surfing, and it's become really great. But, but at first, that was a challenge. <laughs> talk to us about the deals that you have in Puerto Rico. My interest down here is the vacation rental properties, a few things that we're doing on VRBO, Airbnb. I mean, we do the traditional marketing with it, too, Expedia and Orbitz and travel agents and all that. But basically, we bought some bank notes on defaulted assets. As many people have probably heard, the Puerto Rico banking situation and debt situation isn't so great, but that creates an opportunity. So we're buying defaulted bank debt and then going in and fixing up condos and then renting them out as vacation properties. Can you give us the numbers on a recent projects just so we have, get an idea? We purchased a note for a million dollars. It was 30 condos. We put in a bunch of money into it. Our total cost basis came out around 3.8. It appraised right after we bought it for 5.4. It's been a couple of years now, and I recently had it appraised. It came in in the mid-sixes. So significant equity growth very quickly, but really even better than that are the cash on cash returns. So on properties that are producing cash flow, we're seeing, you know, 18 to 25% unlevered cash on cash returns. And then after having a few years of track record of, of cash flows, we have the option to try to go to the banks and get these refinanced. I will say one of the challenges in Puerto Rico is debt. The debt makers really have no place to sell the debt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's very, very hard to get capital in a debt structure. So we're doing a lot of stuff, cash deals for now, but eventually those will be able to be refinanced. And then if you're at a 20% unlevered cash on cash return at 50% basis of value, you yeah, refinance. Yeah, a good position. <laughs> like, it's good. You have to be patient. Puerto Rico is not something where you got to cash out for your kid's college fund in six months don't do a deal in Puerto Rico. Mm-hmm. But if you're in your 30s and you got time and there's opportunity or 40s or your 50s, it's a really great opportunity right now. Hmm. Did I hear you right? You paid $30,000 for a note? No, 30 units we paid a million dollars. The original note was just over 5 million. We bought it for a million bucks and we got 30 units. And then our total cost basis after we did repairs, improvements, carry costs, et cetera, was about 3.8. Okay, and then it appraised for 5.4, and now it's in the mid-sixes. Yeah. In what period of time? The appraisal was instantaneous, and then we saw the other pop in value over the period of about two years. That's incredible. What would you attribute that to? And that's a general question. You can take that whichever way you want, maybe how you got the deal or the value increase, how you were able to get that equity at closing, that sort of thing. Same thing that we were all doing in 2008 in Phoenix. Puerto Rico is no different than any other market. It just happens to be about eight to 10 years behind. So I'm not a genius. It's just rinse and repeat in a new location, the same thing you did before somewhere else. So Phoenix in 2008, you could go to the banks who were trying to offlate debt off their books. And if you had cash, you could buy banknotes for anywhere from 20 to 50 cents on the dollar. So 
Puerto Rico is there. It's not as much there as it was three years ago, but it's still clawing its way out. So unlike in the States where the banks were not allowed to fail and our banks were all sort of propped up and protected, Mm -hmm. Western Bank in particular, but a number of banks in Puerto Rico were allowed to fail. And that forced all of their debt that they were carrying. So, So think about this. You're the bank that made all the worst mortgages. You just were writing mortgage checks like nobody's business. And then when the market corrected and compressed, you failed. And then all that paper was forced on to the banks that were strong and solvent and survived, which started to weigh them down. So they're trying to sell that paper, get out from under it. And they had to take that debt on, but they didn't make the original loan. So they didn't have any money out on the deal. So they're super motivated to just get rid of that debt, not have to service it and not have the liability of foreclosing on the asset. So basically, you're going in and you're shading with the bank, doing the workouts. It's all the same stuff we all learned how to do 10 years ago, which is doing it in Puerto Rico. Any unique challenge with doing the same process in Puerto Rico that comes to mind? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely some cultural stuff. If you think about it, this is a U.S. territory. So there are some people, Americans are not exactly, it's not hostile, I wouldn't say by any stretch, but we're, we're the occupiers. So you don't come in and necessarily get a whole bunch of like, yeah, let's give you our land, let's give you our real estate, this sounds great. No, you know, it's not really the environment you walk into. So you've got to be an open person, you've got to be able to trust and respect and learn a little bit of Spanish try, connect with the people. Uh, it's a really warm, wonderful culture, really warm, wonderful people. But if you come in thinking you're the imperialist, it's not going to go very well. <laughs> Most people, for better or worse, they don't have the mindset that you have where you picked everything up and you moved to Puerto Rico. Have you always been that way? Yeah, actually, when I bought my first house in Arizona, I was living in California. I'd never lived in Arizona. I just couldn't afford California. And when I closed on the house, I was actually in France for the summer. So I bought my very first house, signing my loan docs at a notary in Marseille. From the beginning, that's the way it's always been. So has there been any disadvantage to you living in Puerto Rico and investing in the United States as it pertains to investor relations? It's hard to measure for sure. I certainly get the question, you're a Puerto Rico corporation? Is that like being an offshore company? You know, like we get that question. And if I'm getting that question, that tells me there's people who are just not asking it and they're going to the next website. Uh (laughs) Um, Because if people are asking it, there's some that aren't even bothering to ask it. So there must be some impact. But I would say most of the investors we have have come through referrals and existing relationships or people who know us through an education platform like a podcast like yours or something like that. So I think it's it's significantly a hindrance, but I think I'd be naive to say there's no impact. So you said your main focus right now is multifamily value-add properties. What's the latest project you're working on? Well, we've got a couple of active deals. We've got a full gut rehab of 351 units in St. Ohio. That's going to be done probably in February. We took that thing down to the bricks and are rebuilding it. And then we have a couple of properties in Phoenix, an acquisition we just did. Um, what was it, 320 units? I don't know the exact number. It was about 80% occupied, and we're doing kind of a tenant replace and stabilization on that. So it's 80% occupied, but I would say it's about 70% actually 
occupied, mm-hmm. i.e. people who pay for the place they oh, live. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know. Um, I'm, I, I, I've experienced <laughs> that, believe me. <laughs> there is a difference between a warm body and a paying body. Yep. And then we just closed last month on a project in Phoenix, which I'm super excited to say we actually bought for about $15,000 a door under the next least expensive property in the area, but we bought it 100% occupied and right next to the college. So I think it was a good acquisition, and we're in the process of getting that one going. So those are what we have actively just kind of taking manpower. And we've got a bunch more coming down the pipe. So we're working on some vacation rental properties in Vancouver. We've got some stuff in Denver. I'm going to be heading out to Australia to go look at some vacation properties. Um, we've got more multifamily properties coming up. We're looking let's, at stuff in Orlando. Let's talk about the Phoenix one. You said it's 80% physical occupancy or economic? Yeah, physical occupancy. Physical occupancy. Okay, 80% physical occupancy. And how many units? Just say right around 300. I don't right know around, the exact. Yeah, right around 300. When did you buy it? Closed September of last year. And what did you buy it for? It was that when we bought it. And we bought it for just around 14. 14 million. Got it. What type of financing did you get on that? Pretty Mac debt. Wow. With 80% occupancy. It was probably actually closer to like 85, something like that. But yeah, somewhere around there. And I remember that was actually a question because we had to go through all the leases and really double check because we were like Uh right on the cusp of what they were comfortable (laughs) with. So what's the business plan with this one? In addition to just kind of better operational management, it was an owner-managed property stepping in and we're improving the management, turning over the tenant, getting a better quality tenant, and then doing a value play overlay on the underlying property in terms of we have a program where we go in and we add, I don't know exactly, which is kind of newer, so I'm struggling to explain it, but basically we add services in addition to the rental income to the properties mm-hmm. to increase the NOI. So common one, for example, like maybe a lot of property owners will go out and they'll work out something with Time Warner and they'll get a revenue split to provide internet or maybe a rental or a, maybe they'll do something with the insurance company, get a revenue share on the renter's insurance, you know, different, different programs like that. So we have sort of a proprietary blend of seven different programs that we bring into our properties that can bump the NOI anywhere from 10 to 15%. And how long do you plan on having the property? Until my son's kids finally <laughs> decide to sell it. So a while. Yeah, yeah, we're fine. I still own that very first house I told you about that I closed on in France. I did fix and flips for a while there when the market really just demanded it. <laughs> but I'm buy and hold, build that cash flow, structure your debt right, get mm-hmm. your cash out, do it again. Then the question becomes if it was fourteen million all in, did you and your family put in the equity or did you partner with investors on this? Our group of co investors took this down collectively. You and your investors? Yep. I had my cash in the deal. And actually, yes, about my family, my mom invested a little in this deal too. Hopefully she doesn't mind me saying that. <laughs> but I do have family that invests with me. But we also work with investors who've been doing this with me since I was 18 and some that have kind of come along over time as we've gotten to know each other, sort of friends and family. So with the passive investors who are investing with you, obviously you tell them at the beginning, hey, I'm going to hold this forever. We're never going to sell. How does that work when you talk to them about it? What's the feedback? We definitely are looking for a particular type of partner. Like we're not trying to be all things to all people. So for some, that doesn't work, and we'd rather get to that right away. But generally, it's pretty good feedback. 
there aren't a lot of companies, sort of the typical offering seems to be a three to five year target hold period. So we end up connecting with people who think like we do and who are more interested in just set it and forget it. My perspective is that the transactional piece, the broker fees, the acquisition costs, the underwriting costs really diminish the returns over a 10, 15, 20, 30 year holding period. And so if you can reduce that and you just take an asset to the point where it's a well-oiled machine and requires very little oversight to keep it as such, I don't see much incentive to sell it. And there are certainly other people who think like that too. Mm-hmm. Do you do refinances along the way? I mean, we tend to put decent term on our money. So if we want 10 years or more on our debt, but there are supplementals that are available yep. and, and other ways to access capital. Got it. And what type of structure do you have with investors? Yep, we keep it super simple. It's an LLC. Everybody's a joint owner, pro rata to their investment amount. Oh, really? So if you invest a dollar and it's a $10 raise, then you'll have 10% ownership. You don't take any fees on top of that? Correct. Okay. I mean, it depends on the deal. Some of them have a promote, some of them don't. But in general, we, we keep it pretty simple and straightforward. What is your best real estate investing advice ever? Don't freak out. When stuff gets scary and hard, that's the most important time to keep your cool and get aggressive. I didn't lose a single property when the market turned down and we were really well positioned and it's not all because I did it right. Some of it was just really, really getting creative and gritty when we had to. I definitely freaked out for like a few seconds. I'll be honest, there was a moment there where I cried. But then like you like kind of pick yourself back up and then you just figure it out and you do it. And so if you don't freak out, you keep pushing forward, everything else gets figured out over time. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Sure. All right, let's do it. First, a quick word from our best ever partners. Are you an investor who self-manages, talks to your residents, collects checks, and handles all the day-to-day tasks? Well, there's a better way, best ever listener, and guess what? That better way is Secure Pay One. Secure Pay One, the landlord helper, will have conversations over the phone with your residents whenever there's an issue, and the residents can pay you directly. So schedule your free trial and 30-minute session today at mylandlordhelper.com forward slash Joe. That's mylandlordhelper.com forward slash Joe. Feeling lost on your roadmap to wealth? Tune in to the newly launched REI Foundation podcast where hosts Jason and Peely give you all the steps and missteps towards achieving your investing dreams. Featuring interviews from top industry professionals, make sure you listen and subscribe to REI Foundation podcast at com. Best ever book you've read? Baby Wife. Baby Wife, W-I-F-E? No, Baby Wise, like smart. Wise, B-A-B-Y-W-I-S-E. Yep. Best ever deal you've done? My lightning rod's not very lightning, sorry. I we, can, we can edit. Chamonix, <laughs> <France>. <laughs> okay, good. What'd you Chamonix, say? France. The condo project in Chamonix, France. What's a mistake you've made on a deal that you can think of? Long list. I would say the mistake I regret the most was trusting the seller to fully disclose everything. <laughs> and what can you give an example? Uh, you know, I acquired an apartment complex from a, at the time a 
much more experienced and savvy seller than I was and someone I thought I kind of could just trust I had a relationship with. So I didn't do the kind of due diligence that I normally did before. And I certainly didn't do the exhaustive due diligence I do now. And that was a really expensive, like multi-million dollar expensive error. But I sure learned a hell of a lot from it. When presented this same situation, how do you approach differently now? I really, no matter who the seller is, it could be my mom. I just don't really rely on their representations for things when I buy at all. I make sure that I look at everything as a blank slate from scratch when I do my due diligence. What's the best ever way you like to give back? Definitely through, sounds maybe a little cheesy, but through what we do. I don't like to compartmentalize my social efforts and my business efforts. I like to live a wholly, fully integrated life. So I see what we do every day as a way of giving back to people and approaching our business with a fair and balanced mindset that it doesn't get greedy, but it offers people something that they wouldn't otherwise have access to and does so in an honest and ethical way. And I'm a thousand percent committed to that daily. And where can the best ever listeners get in touch with you or your company? They can call us, 844-SOURCE-4. Or we also made a special landing page and made an offer specifically for your listeners. So people can go to directsourcewealth.com forward slash Joe Fearless and get a free IRA download that we put together just for your listeners. Well, Kira, thank you for being on the show talking about, one, why you're talking from where you're talking, Puerto Rico, the tax advantages that you came across through your friend at iPlan Group, and then also what you've got going on from a project standpoint, both in Puerto Rico, the challenges and the advantages for doing projects there, as well as the projects that you and your team are doing in the United States. We talked a little bit about the Phoenix deal and the business model behind that and how you are projecting to increase the NOI by 15%. So thanks so much for being on the show. Hope you have a best ever day and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Joe. Feeling lost on your roadmap to wealth? Tune in to the newly launched REI Foundation podcast where hosts Jason and Peely give you all the steps and missteps towards achieving your investing dreams. Featuring interviews from top industry professionals, make sure you listen and subscribe to REI Foundation podcast at com.